What is the one factor that makes the primary difference between the unbeliever and the believer? the follower of Jesus, and the person who doesn't follow Jesus. We're going to talk about that today and a lot more on BibleStudyPodcasts.org, starting now. Hello, everybody, and welcome once again to BibleStudyPodcasts.org. Today is actually Wednesday, February the 15th of 2012, and as always, I'm your host, Toby Logsdon. God bless you guys, and thank you, again, thank you so much for downloading this message and participating in this study with us. We're blessed to have you here today, uh, so thank you for downloading this message. If you have your Bible with you, turn to Romans chapter 15, verse 13. We'll go ahead and get started with that in a minute. Again, that's Romans chapter 15, verse 13. But I do want to welcome you guys, and hey, we're only four days away from our five-year anniversary as a ministry. Uh, if, if I'm not mistaken, uh, the ministry got started on February 19th of, uh, of 2007. Uh, can you believe it's been five years? I mean, I, I can't. I remember, uh, you know, when I, I had this wild idea that I'd create a podcast, um, you know, for, for Christmas 2006, my wife got me an iPod. And so, you know, within a month, you know, I had discovered podcasts and thought, oh, that can't be that hard. Uh, you know, maybe I could do some kind of Bible study that my sister and my mom and maybe a couple friends uh, on the internet could listen to. <laughs> So, uh, you know, it, it was. It started out small, and um, man, praise the Lord, God has blessed it. I want to take just a moment to thank those of you who have supported our ministry through the years. Uh, you know, it, it, it does cost quite a bit of money to, uh, you know, when you've got like 4,000 downloads a day, which is about what we average. Um, and, and, you know, that, that costs money, and that money has to come from someplace. And praise the Lord, I, I believe there have only been two months where I've had to pay out of, um, out of my own pocket to, uh, to keep this ministry going. Uh, every other month, the Lord has found a way uh, to meet our needs. So uh, I am immensely thankful uh, to you guys for helping to keep this ministry going. And I'm, of course, I'm thankful to the Lord um, for, for convicting people and leading people in that direction. What a blessing. Um, anyway, just in case you missed our uh, our announcement a couple weeks ago, our app is live. Uh, our app is live. You can now go to iTunes and download the Bible Study Podcasts dot org app. Uh, now, when you go to look for it, you want to look for Bible SP. If you just go to the iTunes, uh, you know, like homepage, the front page, and type in the search box Bible SP. Uh, that'll pull up our app. Uh, I had submitted it as BibleStudyPodcasts.org, but there are only um, like 10 characters available for uh, for the name of an app. So it needed to be shortened, and Apple, on their own discretion, shortened it to Bible SP. Uh, I, I guess they could have, you know, made it BSP or, you know, whatever, but, um, you know, that that's what it is. It's Bible SP, so go on to iTunes and go ahead and, uh, and download it there if you have an iPhone, iPod, or an iPad. 
And by the way, thank you to those of you who have uh, written reviews for uh, for the app as well. Apparently, our developer is still uh, you know making changes and updates every now and then. So, if there are any bugs that you're finding, uh, do let me know, and I'll pass those on to um, to our developer, our, our app developer. But uh, yeah, it's available for you guys if you guys uh, want it. It's out there. Also wanted to remind you guys, in case you're on Facebook or, or Twitter, uh, or if even if you don't have a Twitter account, you can still watch what I'm posting on Twitter and everything. Last week, uh, we had Get the Hell Out of Here, uh, the book that I, um, that I had written last year. We had that available for free uh, last week on Amazon for the Kindle. And the reason that I posted it is because, uh, you know, every day I, I go on to, um, you know, Amazon's website and see what Kindle books they have for free. And over the course of the past couple of weeks, there have been all these books um, basically teaching the same view that Rob Bell taught in his book, Love Wins, which is, uh, which is really heresy. I mean, it's, it's a false belief, uh, the belief that everybody uh, will end up in heaven no matter what. Uh, and of course, that makes the gospel totally irrelevant because uh, there's nothing to save people from. So, uh, so what I did is um, I contacted Amazon and found out how to make uh, my book free. And so if you were following me on Twitter or Facebook, uh, you knew that those books uh, or that that book was free. And I also made my abortion book, uh, A Second Look at Abortion, The Truth About Life in the Womb, uh, made that available on uh, Saturday and Sunday. So hopefully you guys took advantage of that. If you didn't, make sure that you're following me on Twitter or Facebook. Uh, because I, I will make those free uh, again sometime in the near future. So anyway, let's go ahead and get started with our lesson today with a quick word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we come to you today and we thank you so much for sustaining this ministry through the years and we celebrate the things that heaven celebrates, Lord. We celebrate when your word goes forth and we know that it doesn't return void. We know that your purposes are accomplished uh, with or without us, Lord. And so we thank you that you have seen this ministry as fit to uh, to reach so many people. And thank you, Lord, for sustaining this ministry. I pray, Lord, that this, uh, this lesson today would continue to teach us to see things the way you see things, to value things the way you value things, and to be like your son, Lord. We commit this time to you that we might become more like your son. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, the verse that we're looking at here, Romans chapter 15, verse 13, is actually going to be what theologians would refer to as a benediction. And this is really the final instruction that Paul has for the church in Rome. And the remainder of the letter from this point forward, uh, through the next chapter, chapter and a half or so, uh, it's going to focus pretty much on Paul's personal plans for the future and his greetings for people with whom he was acquainted in the church in Rome. You know, after, um, after several years of observation and, and experience too, I've noticed that there are really two types of people. First, there are people who not only won't believe, but it's almost as if they refuse to believe regardless of the evidence. If you've been listening to me long enough, you might remember a few years back, I believe it was late 2007, maybe it was 2008, when I had a dialogue with an atheist regarding the existence of God. 
And he had all his arguments and I had all my arguments. And, you know, what I did is I I just countered and refuted every single argument he could conjure up. And he knew that I did. And that was why he kept trying, you know, different arguments with me. And finally, he had exhausted every argument in his arsenal and was left with his, you know, his proverbial gun clicking, you know, with no ammunition to fire. And at that point, he just offered up an argument that I absolutely couldn't counter, that nobody could counter. Uh, Do you remember what it was, if you were listening back then? He said something like, maybe science just hasn't proven that something can come from nothing yet. Well, when somebody throws logic and reason out the window and presents that type of argument, which, by the way, is a great example of the fallacy of arguing from future possibilities, uh, when they present that type of argument, the best thing that you can do, as I've, al- as I've always said, is talk about what your favorite type of pizza is or uh, your favorite football team or you know something as uncontroversial and mindless as that. But this was a great example of someone who refused to believe no matter what the evidence might indicate. That's the first type of person. The second type of person is the person who's willing to believe even if they might not fully understand the whole picture initially. For this type of person, they might hear an argument that almost every academic uh, scholar of, of history agrees upon, like the book of 1 Corinthians was written prior to 60 AD. And they'll see that Paul was referring to the resurrection of Jesus in this letter and challenging his audience to talk to one of the 500 plus people who witnessed the resurrection of Christ. And they'll conclude, Well, he must be telling the truth. I mean, people who are lying don't point to 500 plus witnesses who are in their midst, in the, in the midst of his audience. And that's the correct conclusion. In fact, that was about the same amount of reasoning that it took for me personally to repent and come to Jesus. Did I understand everything about Christianity? <laughs> Absolutely not. I mean, I figured some stuff out over the, you know, just the last five years. It took me years to figure this stuff out. But a small piece of truth was sufficient for me to accept the fact that there was a larger truth that I just hadn't fully wrapped my mind around, uh, a larger piece of truth that I hadn't fully grasped intellectually yet. That's how the second type of person operates. Now, in this lesson, we will see that Paul reveals what that one element is, the one primary element that makes the difference between the first person and the second person, or respectively, the unbeliever and the believer. Now, we saw that Paul stopped to pray for his audience back in Romans chapter 15, verses uh, verses 5 and 6, when he wrote, Now, may the God who gives perseverance and encouragement grant you to be of the same mind with one another, according to Christ Jesus, so that with one accord you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. That was his prayer back in verses 5 and 6. Here again, he prays for the church in Rome, creating a benediction, writing in Romans chapter 15, verse 13, Now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing, so that you will abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. You know, God has a lot of names which refer to him because he's so multidimensional and so perfect in each one of those dimensions. He's complete in each of those dimensions. He's called El Shaddai, for example. No, that term didn't originate with the Amy Grant song, by the way. (laughs) El Shaddai, of course, means mighty God or God Almighty. For example, in Psalm chapter 91, verse 1, we read, He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will abide in the shadow of the Almighty. 
Ah, but there are two names for God there, aren't there? there there's also the name uh, Most High. He's also called El Elyon, which means Most High God. He's also called El Olam, which means Eternal or Everlasting God. He's called Jehovah Yireh, which means the God who provides or the Lord will provide. So we see that there are multiple names that are used to describe God. And here we see Paul referring to God as the God of hope. And this reveals yet another aspect of his nature and his character. And you may as well tack this one onto the list of God's names. Keep in mind that when we see the word hope, by the way, it doesn't refer to wishful thinking or some future possibility that isn't guaranteed. No, in this sense, the word hope refers to a promise that's being fulfilled right now in the present and will continue to unfold and be fulfilled into the future. See, God's purpose in creating us was for us to become like Jesus in our character. Whenever I read or preach on a narrative that involves Jesus from you know, one, of the, one of the four gospel narratives, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the question I'm constantly asking myself is, what changes do I need to make in myself, in my life, to reflect Jesus' character as it's revealed here? And over time, as I've prayed and sought after this, and as I've spent time studying God's word, sure enough, I've changed in some fairly drastic ways. Uh, I was just talking to my wife about this the other day, how much I have changed just in the five years, because I have been digging into God's word so regularly and so deep. uh, It's changed me. It's transformed me. And I've seen the same thing happen in the lives of others. When we subject ourselves to this task and allow the Holy Spirit to lead us in that task rather than resisting him, we will be transformed gradually more and more into his likeness. And yet at the same time, we can't overlook the fact that our churches are often tragically filled with people who have no interest in becoming like Christ because they're too caught up in their need to have their best life now and how to make every day happy like Friday. Right, Joel Osteen? Um, (laughs) Yeah, it's true. Being like Christ is quite honestly the furthest thing from the minds of people like that. You know, this verse in our text, however, envisions a life that is completely different from the lives of so many followers of Jesus in our day and age. Paul's prayer is that we would all have peace and all joy and that God would supply those things for us. And I think that the problem is that we all too often seek joy and seek peace in all the wrong places. Instead of finding these things in God, we look for them in money. We look for them in possessions or life circumstances. And none of those things, think about it, none of those things are ever constant. They're constantly changing. Those who hope in money find out that mammon is a cruel and unforgiving God who never brings true satisfaction. Those who hope in possessions find that their possessions erode over time. They break down and that our possessions, you know, they might last a few years and if you're lucky, uh, you know, they'll last until the day you die, but you can't take them with you beyond this life. And life circumstances Man, are are those always changing or what? Those are always changing. They change faster than we can blink sometimes. See, when we seek peace and joy in the Lord, and when he is the source of those things for us, they're real, they're true, they're lasting. Jesus came to bring us his peace. In John chapter 14, verse 27, he said, Peace I leave with you. Let me say that again. Peace 
I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Do not let your heart be troubled, nor let it be fearful. Now, as we just discussed, all too often we seek peace as the world gives it. And then something happens and bam, it's gone. Jesus also told us that he gave us a way that our joy would be full. In John chapter 15, verse 11, he told his disciples, These things I have spoken to you so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be made full. See, this joy, the joy that Jesus gives, has nothing to do with money. It has nothing to do with possessions, and it has nothing to do with life circumstances. This has to do with nothing but knowing that Jesus loves us enough that he came to save us and that we can rest in God's promises. The peace and joy that God desires to fill each one of us with, that's our birthright. They're ours to have and to hold and to practice. But yet, so few believers actually experience this peace and joy. Why? Well, one possible answer is that they're not really following Jesus. And I'm not saying that I can even identify who that is and who that isn't. Uh, The parable of the wheat and tares makes it evident that if we tried to identify who is and who isn't a real follower of Jesus, we'd make tons of mistakes. And for that reason, Jesus specifically told his disciples that separating the wheat from the tares the real followers from the fake followers, isn't their responsibility. But the fact is that there are tares in our churches. There are people who are in our churches who don't really follow Jesus. There are people who come to our churches out of tradition, uh, maybe to please God, but not knowing really how to do it. But the fact is that there are tares. A second possible answer is that the people who are filling our churches are legitimate followers of Jesus, but they just don't know how to exercise the faith that God has given them. This is tragic, but what a lot of people do is they take the faith that they have and they proverbially put it under their bed so that they don't lose it. You know, they, they, they take it out for an hour, maybe an hour and a half every Sunday morning, polish it up a little bit, and then they put it right back under their bed so that it's just collecting dust all week long. And the result is that their faith is under the bed instead of under their feet, if that makes sense. So you might ask what it even means. What does it even mean to exercise and take hold of one's faith? Well, I'm glad you asked. It's almost a a strange question because the answer is incredibly simple. First of all, to have faith simply means to believe something enough that you can trust in it. It's something that we all do every day, all day. I mean, let's say that you uh, that you get a phone call from one of your parents who, who lives in another city, and they say that they'll need you to meet them at the airport tomorrow. Uh, what do you do? You show up at the airport, right? You show up at the time and place that they asked you to meet them. You believed that they would be there, and your actions were therefore based on your belief in the truthfulness of their promise to be at the airport at whatever time. If you didn't believe it, you wouldn't show up, right? And the way that we trust in God's promises works the exact same way. He made the promises. Promises like he would work all things for our good in order to make us conformed to the image of Jesus. That was back in Romans chapter 8, 28. And if we believe that, if we have faith in that promise, our actions, our actions should be based on confidence in the fact that God is continually working on our behalf for our good. And that, my friends, brings true, 
unshakable peace and joy. Any other source of peace and joy produces a counterfeit at best. Now, knowing what it means to have the type of faith that God has given us to, uh, to exercise, let's go back to how it applies to common aspects of our lives. Let's say that it was possible to have no faith in anything. So what do you do? You wake up in the morning and you'd be afraid to even get out of bed because getting out of bed requires walking across the floor and you think to yourself, well, you know, it's entirely possible that the floor will give out right under me because the boards might be rotted out. But you saw on a survival show that if you aren't sure that you can uh, that you can trust the ground beneath you, you should spread your body mass over as much of the ground as possible. And so you get out of bed and you spread your body out across as much of the floor as you possibly can, inching your way to the kitchen where you're you know you're hungry, so you want to make yourself some breakfast. But you suddenly realize. It's possible that somebody else sneezed on your food or that it's been poisoned. I mean, you can't prove that it hasn't been. So what do you do? You skip breakfast, right? (laughs) And so you get dressed, slowly working your way across the floor, being sure to test the floor beneath you with, with every movement. But when you're ready to leave for work, you realize that you haven't checked to make sure that the steering column in your car is connected or that the brakes would work. I mean, what if they stop working while you're driving? Have you checked to make sure that the nuts and bolts holding the tires on the car are tight? What if they come off while you're driving? Forget it. There are too many things that could go wrong. And so you walk, uh, you know, whatever, 10 miles to work and you get there just in time for your lunch break, right? But wait, You can't even get up to your office because the elevator might break down while you're in it and you might starve to death. You might suffocate. Uh, So what do you do? You you take the stairs? You can't take the stairs. What if there's an earthquake and people trample you in the event of an evacuation? And so you, you... you run into your boss, uh, you know, down in the lobby area as you're pondering your dilemma, and she hands you your paycheck and says, you know, you, you didn't even call in this morning. You're fired. Here's your paycheck. And you try to explain that you didn't know if the phone would work or if it was even safe to use, uh, but she won't hear any of it. So you, you take your check, but, oh, you don't want to deposit it in the bank because, well, what if they lose it? Hopefully you get the point. We all exercise faith. We all exercise belief. We all act on our beliefs all day long. Without trusting in anything, you would either die of starvation or dehydration, or you'd end up in a mental institution. God simply asks that we trust in him and in his promises in the same way that we trust in other things. That's common faith. It's just common faith. But get this, when people who don't know how to walk confidently in faith, and when they, when they see what you do out of common faith, they think that we're people of incredible faith. But for us, when we walk by faith this way, it's just a common faith. And what we do, the, the, the more we do it, the more we recognize areas of our lives where we need to grow in our faith. And we realize, wow, I'm, I'm not a, a man of great faith or a woman of great faith, But to somebody who doesn't know how to exercise their faith, that's what we look like. Listen, we're willing to trust people enough to operate in a sane manner on a moment-by-moment basis. And if we're willing to trust people, how can we not trust in God? 1 John 5, verse 9 says, If we receive the testimony of men, the testimony of God is greater. For the testimony of God is this, that he has testified concerning his Son. So the point is that if we trust in people, which we do, we all have to do that every day, we should trust in God.
all the more. And Paul tells us the consequence or the effect of us being filled with peace and joy by the God of hope. And he says it's that we will abound in this hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. It is so, so, so important that we understand that we abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. If we don't understand that the Holy Spirit has the responsibility of the ministry of leading and convicting us in our hearts, you know what happens? We'll become inclined to think that we, ourselves, must do all of the things that the Holy Spirit is actually responsible for in our lives. If our faith is weak, if our walk with the Lord is faltering, it's because we're resisting the working of the Holy Spirit in our lives, because we're refusing to let Him take the wheel. We get trained from a young age in our culture to be in control of our own lives, right? So it's important that we do that, but it's difficult at times. But it's so important to give the Holy Spirit control of our lives, to learn how to yield to the Holy Spirit. The theme of this ending section of the book of Romans has focused on living harmoniously with other followers of Jesus. But let's be honest. Let's just face the facts. That is almost never easy. Jesus told us to love one another. But when we try to do that on our own power, out of our own hearts, out of our own will, or with that type of love that the world trains us to have, we fail because worldly love is a selfish love. Godly love is a selfless love. God's love is a selfless love. What we find is that if we try to love our fellow brothers and sisters in Christ by our own power, love is ultimately going to feel like an empty well that has nothing to draw from. And so we end up putting on this mask around other Christ followers that says, I love you, man, but it's transparent. That's the thing. It's transparent. It's fake. And people see right through it. They see that it's phony. And it's because we're trying to love on our own power, out of our own power, rather than by the power of the Holy Spirit. But when we surrender ourselves to him, when we yield to him and see that Jesus loved the people who drive us crazy enough to die for them, we're stricken with conviction. And we see them, we start to see them the way that God sees them. And then we love them. That's the work of the Holy Spirit. Loving from the flesh simply isn't the same as the love that God has. What we need to understand is that sending the Holy Spirit is the means that God chose, that he ordained of working out all of the things that God the Father planned for us and that God the Son, Jesus purchased for us with his sacrifice on our behalf. God fills us up with true peace and hope in our faith. Ultimately, our faith is the difference between the follower of Jesus and the unbeliever. Ultimately, our faith is the difference between the follower of Jesus and the unbeliever. The Bible tells us that faith is a gift from God. Ephesians chapter 2 verse 8. It's a gift from God. But like any gift, it must be received to be possessed. The unbeliever leaves that gift sitting on the doorstep, refusing to receive it, refusing to open it, and the time may come when that gift is no longer offered. The believer, however, unwraps and opens the gift. They receive it. We must learn to exercise our belief, our trust in God's promises in everything that we do. The source of the life of the follower of Jesus is the God of hope, the condition 
of the life of the follower of Jesus is entering by believing, having faith in God's promises and provisions through Christ Jesus. The purpose of the life of the follower of Jesus is that we would abound in the peace and joy that Jesus left for us, that he gives us even today. And the director and choreographer of the life of the follower of Jesus is the Holy Spirit. We need to learn to follow him. We need to learn to yield to him. That's what this verse tells us. And that effectively sums up the entire experience of the follower of Jesus. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you so much for who you are, for being a God who loved us so much that you wouldn't leave us in our, in our sins, Lord. That you sent your Son to die for us, to pay the penalty for our sins, and to bridge the chasm between us and you. God, we thank you for the gift of faith. We thank you, Lord, that you have sent your Holy Spirit. And we just want to learn how to bring those two things together, Lord, so that we are constantly growing in our faith through the leading and through the power of the Holy Spirit. We know that it's only by your Holy Spirit that we can learn how to do that, Lord. And that's something that we are faced with individually, in different circumstances, in different ways. And so, Lord, I just pray that you would make it evident to us where the Holy Spirit is leading us, what he's convicting us of, how he is teaching us to become more like Jesus. Lord, thank you so much for your word. Thank you for the wisdom that we get from it. Thank you for the growth that we get from studying it. We love you. Thank you for this time. We pray that this message will be preserved and blessed. In Jesus' name, amen. This message has been brought to you by BibleStudyPodcast.org. We are a listener-supported ministry. If this is your first time listening to us, we thank you so much for joining us and we ask nothing further from you. But if this is a ministry that you rely on for regular spiritual teaching, we do depend on your financial support to keep us going and growing. If you'd like to make a donation to BibleStudyPodcast.org to keep us going and reaching thousands of people around the world, you can go to our website, BibleStudyPodcasts.org, and you can make a donation on the right-hand side by clicking on the support box. Again, we do rely on your support, and we thank you so much for your financial participation in this ministry, which enables us to continue in our mission of teaching timeless truths in these truthless times. God bless you. Thank you so much for listening today, and keep growing closer to Jesus. Time after time You gave it up You laid it all down Longing to hear me speak I am yours For you ever won me with your love I
crying. 